This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Eric Bristow, MBE, born in Hackney, East London, on the 25th of April, 1957. I have to say, uh, we're pretty much contemporary, and I'm from the other end of the Essex Road, so although Stoke Newington, when you grew up, is now a very nice and increasingly posh area, I don't think it was like that 50-odd years ago. No, it was a a bit rougher then, but, uh, yeah, I mean... Tell us about growing up, Eric. Growing up was... uh, not easy. I mean, it's. Uh, I, I went to a nice school. I went to Hackney Downs Grammar School. Well, that was the last year of grammar, and then so all the years that was coming up below me were comprehensive, and and you could see the change in the in the the new, new children that coming in or whatever. But uh, yeah, it was a great school. Tell us about your mum and dad. Mum and dad. My dad, George Plastra, still alive, and uh, Pam was a receptionist. My mum, Pamela, was a receptionist up the uh, city of London. Uh, very posh voice for the t- for the phone, and uh, she's passed away now. But uh, that's that's still alive. He lives in Sheerness now, on a Chevy. And um, what well, you, see, you say you went to Hackney Downs, which was a grammar school in those days. Um, did you do well at school? Did you like school? No, I was all right at sports at school. I was very good at maths, and that was about it. I had, I had no interest. I was playing darts from the time I was 11 telling all the teachers when I was 13 that I was going to be a dart player and it says you can't be serious you know you've got to, you've got to put your head down and get some GCEs and CSEs and AO levels and whatever else I had no, I'd left school early really they signed, well, they signed me out about a month six weeks before I should have done you're a hopeless case then Eric I just I had it in my head I was going to be a dart player and that was it so. okay well um, let me ask you then about uh, growing up and, and your sporting inclinations um, you, you said you only liked sport at school um, extraordinary story that uh, I, for reasons you'll probably explain to me you support Chelsea Football Club but the year that Arsenal won the double when you were a teenager in 1971 you and your dad saw every single game home and away bar one he's a proper sporter yeah uh, we went every home and away game uh, in the league and then in the FA Cup uh, we Every every game it was like that. They played Stoke in the semi final. They drew two at Villa Park. No, they drew two at Hillsborough, and then they had the replay at Villa Park and won two 0 there. And in them days, when you when you went to the football, you used to get a program with a little thing on the corner, like a, a yeah. token of some yeah, kind. That's yeah. right. You, yeah. If you collect, collect every token, you could get a. If you, obviously, if your team got to the FA Cup final, you would be one of the first to get an FA Cup final ticket. But yeah. like, we didn't have a lot of money, so uh, you buy one program, didn't you? So it was only worth one ticket. So. Sure. 
So my dad, I mean, my dad got the ticket, and he, and he he went. So where did you watch the final? I watched it around a mate's house who was Arsenal fans. It was four or five of us, and they won. And uh, but how come? I mean, this there's no reason where you're from, and if your father's a committed Arsenal fan, and you see their great team of 1970, 71, um, one which sickened me and still sickens me today. <laughs> um, how come you support Chelsea? I just like blue, and I was I was a blue, and I was always Chelsea. And, and how I, did this go down with your old man? Uh, he didn't like it to start. I mean, there's no big deal with him anyway. I was his son, and that's it. Whatever I wanted, I wanted. But he, he, that's why I went with him anyway. But when Chelsea played Arsenal, you know, what I mean, and Chelsea score, I, I mean, I couldn't jump up in the air where I was because I was in the middle of all the Arsenal boys. But uh, yeah, great times. See, see all the country then as well. I mean, for a young lad of fourteen, amazing. The greatest thing about it was when we used to get the trains to all these things. You see the same people every every other week. You know, every two weeks when you're away. I mean, there used to be one lad. He used, we used to see him. He only must have been 10, 11. He used to come on his own. He, he always used to get on the trains. He never paid to get on the train. He'd get, he'd get in the grounds for nothing. He's, you know, just wonder whatever happened to him. You know what I mean? He was just yeah. a Arsenal through and through. I wonder if you can hear your voice now. Yeah, you, you you're still around. You, you never know. You don't know, do you? You never know. Listen, in, in your book, The Crafty Cockney, um, you also say that, uh, I mean, let's be absolutely frank about it, you weren't, you were a bit of a bad boy as well when you were a teenager, yeah? Yeah. Or, or I mean, it's easy. Maybe I'm. Am I exaggerating that? Because there's burglary and there's all sorts of of, of gang stuff in there that I think nowadays people would look frown would frown on it. Well, them days, you either with a gang or he wasn't. You know what I mean? There was loads of gangs around where we was. You know what I mean? So uh, my gang was like every other gang. He steal cars. He breaking people's houses. It was like it. It wasn't anything wrong. You know what I mean? It was like. Yes, the sort of thing you've done, you know what I mean? But, but, but hang on, hang on. Let, let's be frank. What if someone broke into your house now and nicked your car? What would you it. think about it? Oh, yeah, that's it. I understand. Yeah, I mean, we wasn't bad burglars. We didn't rip, rip the place up. It's, some of these bad burglars, they just rip the place up and everything. We, we left everything nice, you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> There's a bit in the book. I mean, you're very proud of that fact, Eric, um, that you, you weren't one of these people who would uh, destroy people's houses and all the rest of it. There's a story in the book that one of your co-criminals, um, whatever word you'd like to use about it, stopped one day and, and cooked himself English yeah, breakfast in someone's it. house. He's going through the house and whatever, and then you smell cooking, you know, and you think, what the hell's going on? He's going to the kitchen, he's, he's doing eggs and bacon and whatever. He, no fear, absolutely no no fear whatsoever, you know what I mean? Why, why, um, uh, why did you stop doing that? I mean, is there a reason why you, you, you stopped um, living that kind of life? Yeah, well, at the time I was like, Fourteen. My dad took me down the pub, and uh, uh, he said, "You're ready." About like fourteen and a half, fifteen, mm-hmm. I was, and he said, "He took me down to Rundle Arms and uh, bowling." Yes, don't you, Anthony? Yeah. And said, "You're ready," and took me down on a Sunday morning. And then, them, them days, the pub was open twelve till two, wasn't it? I mean, that was it. And so we had to be home for dinner at half two, and uh, got in there. We was in there early, playing my dad, and you put your name up, and then when it, it was sixpence a game, and I, I, I played, and, and I, I beat. There was about five or six names up. And I beat my dad, and he didn't put his name up. And I thought, it's not like my dad. You know, he loves his dogs. Why doesn't he put his name up? And uh, he just sat there all day. And I, and I was on there from like 12 till they threw us out at 10 past two. And I beat everybody. I had a pocket full of sixpences. You know I mean? uh, and then they signed me on the team. And then, not the bad lads of old, used to knock about with one. I used to see him every now and then because you know, I'd start playing for dark teams and whatever. It was good for, good for me. It got me out of away from them like, and I had an interest so who knows where you would have went if you hadn't found darts do you think you'd have ended up being a career criminal or would you have found something else to do with your time yes we never know that will you that's, what do you think? Uh, I think I'd have I, I don't think I'd have been a career criminal I mean, I'd, I'd, hopefully I'd have found something else or an occupation I'd have enjoyed and got on with it you know what I mean I didn't want to spend their life behind bars you know what I mean quite it's, do you still know the, the, the kids you hung out with when you were younger 
Uh, a lot of them uh, are deceased now, but I mean, whatever. They, but they, yeah, a few of them done well since. I've seen a few of them, you know what I mean? So, uh, I mean, they didn't all stay on that. No, no, of course not. Stay on that line, but I mean, uh, yeah, a few, few, few went away. And I see, I'm, I'm one got done for uh, armed robbery and whatever. He's got 15, and yeah, a few of them got done. You don't need that. No, I don't want to be locked away. No. Tell me about the grip, Eric. I mean, how early did you develop that very specific? For those of you, this is radio. Why I'm doing yeah, this with you my see hand. It yeah, radio, yeah. You? you used to throw your little finger cock. You'd probably still do. Mate, yeah. Yeah. With, with your darts, I mean, you, you, you hold your dart along your fingers. A lot of them hold it like a pen. Yeah. Uh, on, uh, Eric Bristol now demonstrating with a pen how he's throwing. Doing I held my, throw. my dart along the three fingers here, holding, yeah. holding it with a thumb. Thumb on one side, three fingers. Uh, so you got a spare finger, in fact. Yeah. Fingers. Absolutely no, my little finger was, that was never going to touch the dart tip or whatever, and it just stuck out. And then my father said to me, because I used to practice in my bedroom, yeah. And my daddy says, uh, You'll never make, make, a, make a dart player playing like that. And we still have that bit of a rib today, you know what I mean? And, and I, I think he was a bit embarrassed to take me down the pub with my little pinky sticking out. You know? yeah, it, it looked like I was drinking a cup of tea, didn't well, it? As you said, Eric, pretty soon it was uh, clear that you were very, very talented at this, and the teachers at the school who told you you could not make a living at it were about to pre to pre prove wrong. You had you had other jobs. You you worked at a delivery van. Um, well, like MFI. Yeah, I worked up there as a, uh, as a van boy, come salesman at the weekends and whatever else. Uh, I worked uh, at a clothing factory. I worked at the City of London. I worked as a proofreader. That's right. a place called St James's Advertising Agency. Well, I used to wear a suit every day and. Uh, it was okay. It was okay. Rectifying the spelling and throwing out the papers and telling them what to do, and I, I enjoyed that. Used to, we used to get fifteen p luncheon vouchers then. Yeah, people at home don't even know what a luncheon voucher is. No, I'm afraid I mean. that's, that's something else that's gone gone the way of all flesh. I'm afraid. But listen, um, Eric, during your in your early days of playing darts, say before you turned professional, um, what was the routine? My recollection is I never played myself, but I remember my brothers playing in you know, competitive pub leagues in North London, where we're both from. Um, and I can remember they, they played virtually every night and had a very high standard and it was tremendously competitive. Yeah, you could play every night in a week. That's what happened when we were like, first steady girlfriend I had years and years ago when she was about 16 and was. I mean, I, Monday night league was the Super League. So that was the big one. Right. If you played well in the Super League, you played for county, then you got a chance to play for England, then you got picked to go on TV and that was that was the main one. Yeah. But there'd be a Tuesday league, a Wednesday league. We used to play a Friday league and I'm from Stoneton in Lassen. Yeah, we used to drive uh, all the way up to there. Yeah, yeah. I suppose the, the Mint is up there. Yeah, where, where, where all the footballers live now. Don't yeah, they? we used yeah. to the, the Mint is up there. Yeah, of course. Right? Yeah, they used to have a team in it, and we used to go there, and you could buy a pint for like tuppence because it was like all sub, subsidised and everything else. So we used to like playing away to them. Um, but when I, as I say, when I first went out this girlfriend, it was like the break of the season. It was like so there was no darts on, and then all of a sudden I went to darts Monday, and I went to darts Tuesday, and then Wednesday and Thursday and Friday, and then I, went, I got picked for county, and I went away on the weekends. It was like, so when am I going to see you? So that was the end of that, you know what I mean, darts. So, so uh, you, we'll talk about your relationship with Maureen Flowers later on, the great British woman dart player, but it, it, so the darts has already taken over your life. It's breaking up relationships. Oh, yeah, it was my yeah. darts was my life, you know what I mean? It's like, as it went on, it's like, you know, when are you going to see me? Well, I'm not, I'm playing darts, that's it. I mean, talk to me about where we were with the, the history of darts then, because could you see, within within five or six years from when you were playing here, there in North and East London, darts is going to be a huge thing on the television. Um, the BDO hadn't even been founded, the British Darts Organisation, which, you know, for 30 years ran the thing. I mean, what what would you what did you think was going to happen with darts when you were a kid? Can you remember that far back? Well, it was on it was on TV for since nineteen seventy three. Yeah. So I was sixteen then, you know. So right. I, as I was getting better at the game and just started playing in the pub, I was watching these people on TV. 
So, uh, and I'm thinking, how do I get there? So I, I only used to play for the for the Arundel then in the yeah. normal pub league. Then, and then I got uh, asked when I was 17 to play for uh, Kings Cross. I played General Picton, Kings Cross, York Way. Uh, great, great publican there called Jim Mangan. And uh, so don't forget, I was, I'm only 17 then yeah, still. Anyway, yeah, I, mean, yeah. I used to play the pub team when I was 14. And everybody said I was Flare 18. trousers, uh, Eric. Flare trousers. <laughs> Flare trousers. Long, I'm, of course, I remember you had very long hair at one stage as well. Right, yeah, yeah. yeah, that was about, I remember, I got all them old pictures, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, then I played for Kings Cross Super League, which was a proper, proper dart team and all. We had a great, great, uh, we won the All Great Britain team. But not only did we win the, like the London Super League, we beat every other team in the country. So uh, we had a proper team: Charlie, Alex, Tony Brown, and people that uh, a lot. Charlie played on TV. Tony Brown was a regular on TV. Went on to be a, a semi-finalist in the World Cup, in the, all the, in yeah. the world, so, in the world. Yeah, I mean, so that was that was a big thing on a Monday night. But then after Monday night, you used to have a money racer, where your your top player would play like Hammersmith top player, or right? Whatever, and they, everybody he'd put like two hundred pound in, we'd cover it with about two hundred. Maybe a tenner of it was mine, and I'll play one week, or Charlie X will play the other week, and, and that's how you got your name then, and the uh, money races and things like that. I mean, when you see uh, f- films of about American poker playing in the nineteen fifties and sixties, and, uh, and they're, they're trying to shoot down the big players, was that well, what was the atmosphere like at the in, in, in these big games? Oh, yeah, it'd be packed. I mean, we had a county game when we played uh, away to Bristol. Well, it was called the West of England then. Yes, it's not. It's not called. There isn't a county team that called that anymore. And London played away to the West of England. We had 1,100 people watching this player, a county game at a weekend. That's how big it was. That's how popular it was. News of the World Finals, many, many years ago, before it was on darts was on TV, was at Alexandra Palace. Funny enough, we're back there yeah, now. Yeah, full circle. With 13,000 people there watching, you know, watching normal. And that was that was the only thing that was on TV before the, in, the indoor league started, was yeah. the, the News of the World Finals, with Les Travel going, 100. <laughs> The, uh, you also won a tournament um, sometime in the, in the mid seventies, nineteen seventy five, which allowed you to go to the United States. What your, I mean, for a, you're still a very young person. What did you make in the United States, Eric? It was great. That was it. Was sixty four players played at the Cat's Whiskers, Streatham Hill, and we and we all put twenty four, twenty five. That's a nightclub, is it? The Cat's Whiskers in Streatham Hill, yeah. Yeah, but that used to be our London home venue, right? With a revolving stage, brilliant. I mean, that's just you're talking about a long time ago. No, I mean, yeah. So. Uh, and then 64 of us put 25 quid a piece in, and the winner was going to go to America for three weeks. And there was no way in a million years I was going to lose that. And I beat a guy, Alan Glazier, I beat him in the, in the final. I killed him 3 0, I think. But uh, so, I, and then all of a sudden, I'm 17 and a half, 18, I'm going to America for three weeks. I'm going to, I've got a tournament in LA, followed by a tournament in Frisco, San Francisco, and, and uh, which was really in Vallejo. And then, we yeah. went, and then we went somewhere else. I mean, it was I was gone, you know what I mean? But then when I got there, you're not allowed to drink till you're 21. Disaster, Eric. Disaster. <laughs> so everybody's going. I up. think we should establish fairly well on that you you're a very social guy and you don't mind a pint of beer either, do you? I'm the same now. Yeah, I'll yeah. carry on. But I'm not yeah. a spirit man. I like my beer. Yes. Yeah. But then it, oh, something like a change over there because you couldn't drink beer. They know you're drinking beer. So like I'll play pairs with Alan Glazier. Then he's bringing me over a, like, a vodka and coke. And if anyone's there, I'm drinking Coke, you know what I mean? So, Well, look, you're obviously becoming a real good player in what is an extraordinarily um, difficult scene to imagine if you hadn't described it to us because people just wouldn't believe that these pub leagues and these these games in clubs are attracting thousands of people to watch them. Somebody who was a big player on that scene and went on, of course, to be a big player in the professional darts world all the time and saw you as a young man is Bobby George. Yeah. And Bobby George, I'm delighted to say, can join us on the line now. Good evening, Bobby. 
Hello, mate. How are you? Very, very good indeed. Uh, Oi. Hey, Bo, how are you, pal? Lovely jubbly. Lovely jubbly. Bobby, t- tell us about, I mean, how, how quickly were you aware? Tell us about the young Eric Bristow, a teenage sensation. What, how did you become aware of him? Well, I used to play the Super League, obviously. I, I played Essex and London. I could, could play both of them days. And I met Eric, and I, um, you know, he, he couldn't drive. And I, I was a lot older than him, so I had a car. He thought, that's Andy, he can drive me everywhere, see? It wasn't stupid. Yeah. And we used to go in all the different tournaments. We used to go uh, in the little pub tournaments, like 20 quid, 30 quid on a Friday and a Saturday and Sunday. And we used to go around trying to win them or, you know, nick the money sort of, of thing. Um, and then we used to do the money race in them days. I mean, they, they don't do that now. We used to like, if you was good, you'd put your money where your mouth is and you play someone, you'll put, you get your mates to put the money in and... Uh, you might play Alan Evans, Leighton Reese, Eric might play something, and we went, and if if you won, you had the money. But that's how we done our apprenticeship, you see. We we had to do our apprenticeship it, it, different than they do today. They've got it made today, but I think they, they lost out the fun part of the dance. When we started, it was really fun. I mean, uh, sorry, Eric. And we, had, we had some good times in America, mate, didn't we? Great times in America, yeah. I, I used to play, uh, I played pairs with a four-man team, um, when he beat me in the final one year, and uh, you know, I beat you, Bo, Bo, but we all shared the money. And then I'm in the final, and he said, Come on, Bo, you know, we used to change. Anyone who's in the final, it was a mate off, you know, what I mean, because he was on your team. <laughs> uh, poor old John Lowe, uh, I never shared, I only shared with him once, and, he, and then he won it. <laughs> Bobby, Bobby, you oh, have some fun. Bobby, no fun anymore? Well, I mean, clearly you two had fun. I know, I know you did. But um, how quickly? I mean, did you realise even then that Eric was going to be the best player in the world? No, I didn't. I don't. I don't think he ever was. Anyway, no. not in my eyes. So you know that. Um, you're, you're only the best player on the day you play. The next day, I mean, hang I on, mean, he's five, I, he's I, he's I five times he's world champion. I, first, I, I I won the. He would tell you this. You can go and win the news of the world one day, okay? The next day you play a county game, you get beat. So you're only as good as on the day you play. You've got to be at the top all the time. and That's difficult. You've got to be dedicated. He was dedicated. He practiced for hours. Had to get on that dartboard. And, you know, you have to put the hours in to get the results out. Well, listen, thank you very much, Bobby. We're so short of time now. I just want to say thank you for joining us here uh, on My Sporting Life. That's Bobby George, of course, who uh, we'll hear later on. You went on to beat in a world final yourself. Um, where did you get the nickname The Crafty Cockney? Where did that come from? It was the first year when I went to America. We went to um, Santa Monica, where the tournament was one of them uh, in Santa Monica. And uh, all the dark teams, the pub teams over there had a shirt. With the name in it, like the bowling teams in their, in their bowling yeah, leagues and all that, yeah. It's all, all America, isn't it? You know, yeah. that's, that's the way they are. Yeah, and nice stuff as well. Yeah, you know? I mean, not not cheap stuff. But uh, and a guy called Les owned the Crafty Cockney. He, he owned three or four delicatessens as well. He was a very very wealthy man, American Asian lady. He was an English lad, and he used to have a, a house up the Hollywood Hill. He used to own one of them. I mean, proper job. Nice. He used to have, and the first year we went over there, it was fifty two of us went over there in a BDO party. We had a party at his house, and we was at the top of the hill, and he's going looking down on it. And them days, like not, not 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 them sort of names. He that that's Madonna's house, that's so and so's house. Yeah, yeah. Not them sort of people, but they, no. In them days, whoever it was. No, it'd been Dean Martin, etc. Yeah, 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 yeah. But, and his party piece, they they all knew him and whatever else. And, and he used to go to their parties dressed up as a policeman. 
and that's the policeman on the back. And he, and, and his pub, the, the Crafty Cockney, uh, had, had fish, traditional fish and chips. So all the English people that went to Santa Monica went there. I mean, all, Tom Jones used to come down there and eat there. Yeah. I mean, all the Brits. I mean, and roast, so the roast, name got transferred to you. Well, roast beef in Yorkshire put on a Sunday. I mean, in America, it's, it's a proper job. I mean, <laughs> place had ten dartboards. Wow. Yeah, it was. Uh, I, yeah, I had some great times there. I used to practice there. I bought the shirt there. I bought. There was a mucky duck down the road. There was a thistle, the Scottish bar. There was. I had shirts from everywhere. First time in America, you got you come back with you know shirts from everywhere because you've been there. Well, lucky you stuck with the crafty cockney. Otherwise, you'd be the mucky duck. You don't want that as a nickname, <laughs> uh, do you? I was called loads of names, but I couldn't wear them on my back. That's for sure. But yeah, it was a. I brought it back. Wore it on TV. I wore it on a. I went to do a thing. You're supposed to wear your England shirt. It was a pro am thing, and. Uh, I played with uh, Nicholas Parsons. There was eight players and eight celebrities, and we wanted me and Nicholas Parsons. You didn't get on very well with Nicholas Parsons. No, no, he's a joke. He's worried about his hair all the time. <laughs> we just won the semi-final against Collins, the speedway lad, and we're yeah. uh, and we're playing Michael Benton or someone in the final, and he's going, well, "What about me hair? Me hair?" And I, I was all I wanted to do was win. I said, "Your freaking hair! Just get on with the darts." You know what I mean? You can't speak to Nicholas Parsons like that. He's a national treasure. <laughs> yeah, right. Because he is. Yeah. Well, Bobby George said you weren't the best player in the world, there, Eric. Everyone's entitled to their own opinion, mate. And it's not, that can't be right, can it? When you, when you win three world titles in succession, as we're going to hear about, five well, or seven years. I think he's maybe got that a bit wrong, but I mean, that's uh, whatever. Everyone's entitled to their opinion. Listen, the you won your first major title in 1977, the World Masters at Wembley. I mean, was that actually the world title? Because there wasn't a world, was there a world championship at that time? They no. Hadn't, they hadn't. So really, you were the best player in the world from 1977 on. Yeah, 77 was, uh, well, the World Masters was the big one then because we, we used to have about 40, 40 countries involved and all. They used to fly from all over the world to play the World Masters. And, uh, yeah, I won that at, at the end of 77 in December. But then we was all looking forward to the World Championship because that was starting in 78, you know, in, in about five weeks' time, four weeks after. Did you did you change? No, I didn't change. And, uh, I just, well, I'd achieved what I wanted to do. I won the World Masters, which is the biggest tournament in the world, and... I suppose I've partied a bit. And, uh, Let me ask you about that, because you say, I suppose I've partied a bit, which is, is brilliant code. <laughs> uh, in your book, you say that you uh, you went on a virtual six-month party. Let me ask you about this, because darts had a reputation. It's a pub game. That's not why we're beating around the bush. It's a pub game, and many of the players like like a drink. Is that relationship with drink important in the in the, in the growing up of the, of, of the sport? There's always been a, a dart player's drunk, because it's, it's like me and you are going to meet in a pub have a game of darts. Say you got, say I got there half hour before you. I'm gonna have a pint. I'm not just gonna nurse the pint. I'm just like after 20 minutes, you're not there. I'm gonna be on my second pint. You're gonna come in. I've been practicing on the dartboard. You're gonna say to me, "Well, I'm not gonna play yet because I want to have a have a drink first. There's a bit of a practice myself. And so by the time you, you're ready to play me, you've had two and I've had four. Let me ask you a straightforward question. When I <laughs> when I used to play very low level darts and pool, right. I always felt after three pints, you there, my game there. improved. Yeah. Is it the same for professional players? Uh, professional players, three players, and we're just warming up. Yeah. So Cliff, Cliff Lazarenko, three players, he wouldn't have got his darts out yet. You know what I mean? <laughs> so, but, no, everybody was different, and, and people yeah. could drink in volume differently, you know what I mean? And and you can't play, it's a, it's a fallacy. You can't play darts when you're blotto. I mean, you... You, you can't. You, but some people can take more drink than others, if you understand definitely, where I'm coming from. Yeah. You know what I mean? Cliff could take a lot of drink. I mean, you don't drink with Cliff, because he'd be, uh, if you drank with him for three or four hours, you'd never beat him. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bolin Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bolin Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bolandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at uh1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Okay, so you, you, you won the World Masters and you didn't win... Um, the World Championship, can you? I think it was it the first one. Um, yeah, it was. Nineteen seventy-eight. Nineteen seventy-eight. It was. Do you remember what happened? Heart of the Midlands Club in Nottingham. Thank you for that lovely no name. For what a brilliant name for a club that is. The yeah. Heart of the Midlands. Okay. No, it, a lot of people know that. There was the, it was the first one was at Jolly's. It was the Heart of the Midlands Club in Stoke. Club. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Stoke. That's yeah. where it went to Eventually, after the first yeah. year. Yeah. And I played a guy called Comrade Daniels, and he was best of nine legs, and he was a very slow player. And he beat me 6-3, and I didn't know if it was Monday, Tuesday, or Wednesday when I come off the stage. He was that slow. I couldn't handle it. I went home back to Stoke Newington. I found all the slowest players in the league. And I used to go around their pub and play them on all, all night to make sure it would never happen again. Uh, did, do you think he deliberately slowed his game down because he, he knew you played at a much more uh, regular tempo? No, that was his game. Yeah, no, that was his game, and I saw him for years afterwards in America when we used to play in the tournaments, and and that was he didn't do it on purpose. That's the way he played his game. Like Dennis Priestley, coming years on, yeah, he was a slow player. They don't do it on purpose; they practice like it. Am I right in thinking again when you see the glamour and the way that Barry Hearn has arranged the darts now? Very different world in the heart of the Midlands Club in Nottingham. The 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 tournament was sponsored by cigarette manufacturers, and I think all the players got fags as well. Is that right? Yeah, it was sponsored by Embassy, and so was the snooker then. Yeah. And, and done both Embassy World Championship and World Snooker Championships was uh, Embassies, and they're great people. They they looked after us. I, I enjoyed working with them, and uh, yeah. Were you a smoker? Are you a smoker? I'm a smoker. Yeah. yeah. And they used to have tw- 40 fags on that stage. Like tw- <laughs> <laughs> with your ashtray it's hard to remember it now it's isn't great it days, yeah. great days great days it's proper living mate it was an ashtray on the, on the stage we walked in the world championship first round and there's two packets of fags with two of a lighter on each and the, uh, I, should, I should make the point and Jockey, well. no Jockey used to love it when he played somebody who didn't smoke because he could have both so, yeah, as soon as the game was finished he'd come <laughs> off and he'd, he'd walk off with 40 fags and two lighters and come back and go eh, 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 eh. and just so people know what we're talking about here that first world championship every player got 200 uh, cigarettes just for entering the tournament the winner got 600 cigarettes a month for the, for the whole following year did you know that? that's right yeah and then when I, after I won it in 1980 because Peter Dyke was our top man from Embassy mm-hmm and then I won it in 81, but then I lost in 82. Only, he used to send me 600 through all the time, all the way until we, 90, 92, when, they, when we stopped and we split with them. Yeah. And always, because I always, when we were doing interviews about the World Championship, 
We didn't call it our job, we just called it the embassy. Yeah, of course. And so yeah. he just said, send me 600 a month through anyway. But so, as I say, Peter Dyke was brilliant. You know what I mean? Well, listen, um, you said that the following year, 79, you're, you're clearly the best player around, or that's what people tell me, who yeah. I was asking that. And you say it went to Stoke-on-Trent, Jolly's Cabaret Club. Um, again, you uh, were qualified, uh, you were most likely to win it, and you lost to the Welshman Alan Evans in the quarterfinal. Um <laughs> I understand it was a, it didn't go to that. How can I put this? There was some conflict at the end of the game. Is that fair? Well, we didn't like each other. That was it. Why didn't you like Alan Evans? That was just, I just I, I, his best mate was Leighton Reese, and I liked Leighton Reese. I used to share a room with, room with him when I used to go to America, and I was best man at Leighton Reese's wedding. So it's not Welsh people in general. No, no. It's just me and Alan Evans just didn't get on. And then when we had the interview, they one bloke brought me in and sat me in a chair. Another this one is brought, after you've lost the quarterfinal. Yeah, yeah. Job, listen, sat me in a chair, and we're sitting there and. I, and He's saying you lost and whatever else says. And uh, this is live on TV. And then Alan Evans, when I've got more chance than you, boy, always says. And then he lost the next round. I think uh, Leighton beat him, or John Lowe beat him in the, in the semi final. But uh, yeah, we didn't like each other. And uh, all right, the last, he's, the man's dead now. Yeah. The last few years of his life, I played him a couple of times. I played him at the Circus Tavern. And well, we weren't the best of buddies, but we were, we got on a lot better then. But we was never meant to get on. No. Some people, some people you work with. Yeah. You work with people here. You're not going to go out and have a drink with them afterwards. No, no, and uh, many of the listeners don't like me either. To be honest, Eric. <laughs> um, two years running, then you've come in as favourite and not gone. I want to win these inaugural world championships. Were you getting frustrated by that stage? I was getting right annoyed, yeah, and then because uh, I think I think you like to win, Eric. I may be mistaken, but I think you like to win. That's right, and I, I lost me I lost me World Masters '78, and then '79 I won the World Masters. So that's two World Masters I got in. And so now we're playing the 1980 uh, Embassy at Jolly's, and then that, that's when my me, me dream come true. Then that's, that's when. Uh, well, why don't we Why don't we get straight on to that? Because um, we, we, as I say, there's a lot of World Championships to talk about. So let's talk about that first one. Um, you beat people like Tony Clark, Jockey Wilson, uh, Tony Brown, I think, on the way to the, to winning it. And in the final, we met Bobby George, who don't rate you as the best player in the world. Tell no. us about your memories of winning that. that, that um, where, first of all, remind me where that was taking place. Was that Jollies. in Jollies? Yeah. yeah. And the first first guy I played, I'll give you the first shot, yeah. really. The first, I played Tony Clark, and he went up there and did 140. He won the ball, or they pulled the ball out of the bag then. He, yeah. he went 140, and I went up there, bounce out, bounce out, one. My you, first shot. So in your first throw in the 1980 World Championship, you're going to win, you scored one. Yeah. Now, even I've, not, even I've not managed to only score one, That's Eric. right. So I'm, I'm, That's a bad start. I'm 139 behind and the other bloke's throwing. And I'm thinking, well, it's got to get better. And I've lost the first two years. I'm thinking, oh, this, this, this tournament just don't like me. But I beat him and I got through to the final, played Bobby. Great final. Bobby played well. I was four sets to three up. It was two legs all. Bobby won his 66 with his last start. And he's not the best counter in the world. And he went for he went for sixteen, which is stupid with your last start. When you want sixty six, you go for treble ten. All bullseye, treble ten leaves double eighteen. Bullseye leaves double eight. He just went for a sixteen. He hit treble sixteen left double nine, which is not the best. Not double a one. traditional finish, no. So I just I hit a shot, left myself tops or whatever. He went big nine for double nine. Went for the single one to leave double four and choked and pulled it and hit, and hit an eighteen or a twenty. And I thought, well, this is your chance now, kid. You got three darts in your hand to be world champion. What what double you're going for? And I can't remember. No. So yeah, I don't. I know I won one of them on double two. I think that was double top. I mean, I. Yeah. I've got I've got it all at home. It's a matter of interest for me. Um, were you one of these people who liked to finish on sixteen or, or double 16's top? Sixteens, me. You like sixteens, yeah. And if you watch the tape, 
the one I wanted. That's how I used to end up on double two, 16, 8, 4, Four two. two. And then, <laughs> and then the mayor there, it's double one. But if you watch the tape, because before the final, because Bobby used to come in with a candelabra, he was the first walk-on guy with all this stuff. And, and, yeah, and he, the, the he, bling and the whole he looked, he looked brilliant. It's good. So, I mean, he was good for the game, Bobby. You need totally. Ca- totally. You need characters, and he was a character. And uh, he said to me beforehand, and, and on TV, he said, when, when, I, when I beat Eric, he said, I've got a poem for him. You know what I mean? So when I, if you slow it down, I'll shake his hand after I won it, and I'll say to him, well, what's your so-and-so poem now, pal? And he went, uh, 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 and I was gone then, just saluting the crowd. But, well, uh, yeah, great final. How did it feel? How did it feel to be world champion? It was like, I won loads of other things. I won loads of tournaments. I won every tournament in America then. I'd won uh, the You Dan- were winning all the tournaments then, Eric? Yeah, yeah, I'd won the Danish Open, the Swedish Open, the Finland Open, the oh, uh, World Cup singles. I, I'd won everything apart from this the world, world championship. championship. Yeah. And it was just like... A big weight off my shoulder. It was like, thank God that's out of the way now, and let's just get on with it. Can I mean, because we we now associate darts with reasonable money. Can you remember how much money you earned from winning the world title? I won three grand first time I won that, and I was loaded, mate. Yeah, that's a lot of money then. No, seriously, a lot of yeah, money. Yeah, no, no. Oh, yeah, you could buy an house for that, like near enough. You know, yeah, house or whatever. But then it wasn't that. It's what if it had been a penny for the winner. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's being the world champion. The money doesn't know. You spend the money. You could lose the money in a bookies the next day, couldn't you? Of course, yeah. But you could never lose the world championship. So that was it. And it was just, it was just like a lot of weight off my shoulder. And then I could get on with the job then of what I wanted to do and just keep playing darts and playing all these tournaments. We, we should talk very quickly about retaining the title in 81. But in between, I mean, you're, yours is a life that, you know, you, 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 you go lots of places. Um, your book is full of colourful stories. And some of them are a bit dark. I mean, you went to Kingston in Jamaica Kingston. Um, in 1980 after you won the world title um, for a tour. I mean, I've been to Kingston in the 1980s for, because I work in the music business at the time. Yeah. It was a crazy place. Yeah. Didn't you find a dead body? Yeah. And we thought I pulled it tell out of the water. Tell yeah. people about it. There was me, my manager, Dick Alex, and uh, Maureen Flowers, who I was with then, and this doctor we worked for. And Dick Alex, my manager, was a pirate fan. And there's Port Royal there. And you've got the sunken building that's upside it's, down. It's walk. a city that collapsed into the sea when it, during an earthquake where there used to be the pirate capital of the world, yeah. That's right. And they've also, they show you the rocks where they used to lure the ships over. And yeah. it's, it's, it's a nice sightseeing Amazing, place. Yeah. So I went walking down, and then this guy's floating in the water, and I've got these brown bread in. They go, he's snorkeling. I said, he's snorkeling. No snorkel there. <laughs> face down with you know what I mean? So I told Maureen to get back. And I went and pulled this young lad out. He had a red pair of like, underpants on, and I pulled him out. And he was, he was brown bread. So I just pulled him up and left him there. And I started walking back. And as I'm walking back, they're in front of me. And I'm thinking, oh, God, here we go. You know, they're behind the bushes, a dead lad in the water. All sorts of silly things go through your head. Yep. And I'm yep. looking for something to pick up, like I can defend myself with it. I picked this lump of wood up, and it was that dry. If you hit somebody, it just crumble. Yeah. I found a brick, and I was a bit happy with that brick. And I'm walking along, and I'm walking up, and it was about half a mile before you got to concrete. And as I walk out, the big two lads come walking to me. One of them was bigger than me. And he. He says, uh, my heart's pumping like a good one. Maureen and them are all gone past him and they're in. He said, what's the matter? Is their boy frying you? <laughs> and, and this is half a mile away. I said, I said no, like you do. I was just bumped straight through the middle of the pair of them. I said, nothing frightens me, pal. You know what I mean? And my heart's going to bang, yeah. bang, 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 bang. <laughs> anyway, I got through and that was it. They knew about the dead body when we reported it and they just go down, threw it in a bag, right in the back of a van and. It's wow. a funny place, Kingston, yeah. Wow. And we moved out of the hotel after the first night. Why? Because we was right in the middle of Kingston, and there was a Kentucky place across the road. And then I said to this guy at the bar, 
morning went to bed. It'd been a long flight and whatever else. I've had a few drinks. I said, this geezer at the bar. It, it reminded me of uh, Bird's Eye Bloke with the beers and whatever. So I said, what are you doing here? And I said, I'm going to pop up. I'm, I'm over here play darts, blah, 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 blah. I'm having a few here now and I'm going to get myself a KFC and go to bed. He said, you might go over there some, but he said, you won't come back. <laughs> yeah. And it was great because it, and so my manager didn't like it. He bottled it and he, he brought another hotel. And uh, and that night in, in, in the minute of Kingston, nobody slowed down at the traffic, nobody stopped at the traffic lights. They just slowed down, even though they're red, and just look each way and then drive through. No, it, was, it was a rough old place, mate. My recollections are that it was a, a very dangerous city in those days. I don't know what it's like now. It's not an exaggeration to say that you were as famous as any sportsman in Britain. Yeah, there was many channels in. There was no this guy and everything else. We had like four channels then. We had uh, ITV, BBC One, BBC Two. I mean, only three just maybe to start with. Then Channel Four come along, didn't it? And I mean, so uh, and sometimes we used to play these other tournaments in in little areas like Anglia as well as the main tournament on TV. And they might have filmed it three months beforehand, and uh, it clashes with a live tournament we was doing on TV. So I was on two channels. So even if you didn't want to watch me. There wasn't much chance of you missing me, so I, mean, I was in every zone. And the TV companies off the back of that, realising that darts was so immensely popular, launched Bullseye with Jim Bowen. I mean, you were an absolute regular on it because you were a pretty good entertainer and you and Jim seemed to, seem to get on. I'll ask you about that. Yeah, Bullseye did, yeah. then made made the, the handful of you who were the regular darts players just made absolute monsters of you. It was. It was brilliant. And they should never have finished it, really, Bullseye. It was, uh, 81 was the first year they did it. They didn't have Tony Green on. They had a funny... Ball went up for Bullseye with. Uh, I've been watching it on Channel TV uh, yeah. not long ago. They've shown all the replays. I mean, it's still showing it. You're absolutely right. And uh, yeah, funny. And there's, there's a speedboat, whatever else. Everybody laughs about it. But it was a, it was a great. It was Sunday afternoon. It was after you'd had your dinner. It was prime time. It was always in the top ten ratings. I don't know why they took it off. And it was a shame for Jim Bowen because he wanted to carry on for a few more years. And he was a nervous wreck doing it. Why? Just the way it was, he had a live show all of a sudden. He was put in front and he had a live show. He used to get it that wrong that many times. I mean, oh, the cutting floor must have been a joke, you know what I mean? <laughs> he used to get everything wrong. And as the years went on, obviously he got better. But uh, And it, just the viewing figures were fantastic. It was great for a, a dart player who was coming up. You you wanted to get on Bullseye because you had that 10 million people watching sure. it. And you, you, you get you a bit of a name. I take it you, you, you couldn't walk down the street in those days without people... Knowing you, recognising you, bothering you? I've always had it, yes, since I've been about 20, 19, 20, because yeah. I was on TV from the indoor league days. You know what I mean? Do you like all that? Uh, as my father say, when nobody uh, notices you, you're nobody then. So uh, so that's what you take it, isn't it? That's it. It's all part of it. I mean, uh, it wasn't as like some of these dark players today have become good when they're 30, 35. They've had a normal life beforehand, and it must be a bit of a culture shock for them. Sure. Where me going into it from the age of 14, 15, being the best in the area and then being playing for London and then playing for England when I was 17 and playing on TV when I was 17, I was at it all the time. So it wasn't like a, a big jump and I was just used to it. You just put up with it and uh, yeah, I'm, I'm fine with it, there's no problems. At what stage did you, did you move to the Midlands to live? You moved to Stoke-on-Trent, is that right? I moved up to Stoke-on-Trent when I was about 22. So. Why? Because uh, I fell in love with a lady dart player called Maureen Flowers. Yes, who was the best darts player. Uh, oh, you bet. Yeah. Uh, best, yeah. Uh, best dart players ever, uh, woman dart players ever walked the planet. Not the worst looking person ever born either. Oh, that was Andy, yeah. yeah. That, that kind of helped. It kind of teased me up. Yeah, she just. Split. She was from that part of the world. Yeah, yeah, she split with her husband, and 18 months afterwards, we we got on well. And uh, don't know, ask me why. 
She never smoked. She never drunk. She never swore. And they say opposites attract. I yeah. Mean, and, and yeah, we lived together for eight, nine years. Brought her kids up. Lovely kids, all three of them. Uh, mm -hmm. And then we just split. Yeah. There was no other person involved. We just grew apart. And, uh, and yeah. That was it. And then, but then I stayed in Stoke. It's, it's very handy for travelling around the country. It's nice and central, isn't it? Fantastic. 45 minutes from my house. I live in Leeds, Staffordshire now, but yeah. I went 11 miles out of Stoke. But 45 minutes from my house, I'm in Manchester Airport. 50 minutes, I'm in East Midlands Airport. Half an hour, I'm, I'm on the M6. Get to Scotland in three, three and a half hours. Ideal for my job. Made a lot of friends up there. After the eight years I was up there, at the Cockney Pub, Crafty Cockney Pub up there also. And as we were here in the second half of the show... Perhaps you wouldn't have so easily met Phil Taylor if you weren't in that part of the world. But we'll come on to that another. <laughs> another Phil who? Yeah, Phil who. <laughs> um, in the 1982 World Championships, you lost in the first round to a man called Steve, Steve Brennan. Brennan. Yeah. Um, was he a good player? He was a good Irish... He, 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 a Norfolk lad, but he... he uh, and played for Ireland, which was funny, but, I mean, that's, to get another five world-ranking points is another story not to get into. And he beat me first round. I didn't play my best game, and I was a bit upset about it. And then you're going to get to 83 then, aren't well, you? Well, we should get to 1983 because we talked earlier on before we uh, even started the show that in some ways um, it's incredible that uh, you can lose a final that makes the other person so famous. Um, the example we use is Steve Davis, who I know is a chum of yours. Steve yeah. Davis won multiple world titles. But if you ask people what final of Steve Davis do you remember in snooker, of course they remember him losing to Dennis Taylor. That's right. And in 1983, you played in, I'm sorry with all, for everybody else, the most famous darts match ever seen um, in the English-speaking world, i.e. the world, uh, when you lost to Keith Taylor. Tell me about how, about how you got to the final, first of all. Were, were you in good form? Were you, were you at the very best of your, your, your skills? I was fine. I was playing lovely. Keith was playing well and all. I mean, we knew Keith. Uh, people at home didn't know him, but he'd been on the circuit two years. He'd been to America. He's a three-week tour. He's won little tournaments here and there. So you know he was a good player. And I'm delighted to say, and that's why the magic of radio is so brilliant, we're joined now by the 1983 world champion and the winner of that extraordinary final, Keith Dell. Hello, Keith. How you doing? Very good indeed. Say hello to Eric. You all right, mate? All right, pal. Keith, um, you were barely out of, your, out of short trousers when you won that world title. That game, I mean, it was watched by tens of millions of people. It is the most remembered darts match of, of, of its time. Tell us about your own experience of the 1983 tournament and that final with Eric Bristow. Well, actually, mine sort of come back, started really by winning a tournament in the Los Angeles Open, which um, Eric knows a lot about. We used to go over to the States. I ended up getting a playoff and then got to the World Championships. And I've never been on TV before, so I really weren't sure whether, you know, basically my bottle would go basically because you don't know. And um, I think as the tournament went on, it started quite good for me, really, because I had Nicky Vrashkel, Les Cable, so it gave me a chance to, you know, get into the tournament. You know, even though they're top players, but it wasn't a bad draw. And I think what helped me really in the final against Eric was that I'd, I'd taken out John Lowe and Jockey Wilson, who were like number three and number two in the world, and I had two cracking games there. And I think really I, I just wanted to get to the final because to play in a world final, you know, that was the thing, the, the big day, live on TV. And, um, you know, I think the way I played against John and Eric, uh, sorry, John and... Um, jockey i knew i was playing really as good as anyone in the tournament so obviously the ultimate challenge was to play eric because at that time you know he used to win like like phil taylor does now he wins about 85 percent of the tournament did so. you did you expect to win um <coughs> uh, keith did you expect or did you expect to be a, a plucky runner-up 
I felt that uh, because we had three sets um, in grandstand and then we had to break for the second half of the final, I felt that if I was 2-1 either way, I had, a, I had a decent chance. I thought, if I'm 3-0 down after the three sets, it's good night, you know, because Eric doesn't lose games like that. But I actually, after the three sets, was 2-1 up. And um, I felt then that um, the pressure really was on Eric, not me, because obviously he's number one in the world and was expected to win. So I just felt that being the underdog gave me more of a chance, you know, because I think there was less pressure on me. And... And I think that week, my finishing some big checkouts was, well, uh, was really behind Well, we can move on to the moment. You know what I'm going to talk about now, Eric. There was a moment when you were 2-1 down where you could have levelled the match where you had 50 to get. No, um, that was it. It's uh, about 5-4. Uh, yeah, yeah, sorry. 5-all. Well, yeah, very, yeah. very late in the piece. You, yeah. you uh, did two all-in games in that set. So you could have put your stamp on the final, you were left with a bullseye to win, which no. everyone goes for now. Well, last start. Not uh, everybody goes for it, but... Uh, yeah, last start. Dart. But he won in 1-3-8. 138 he needed. Yeah, uh, he had darts to win, to beat me in the, in the whole match, four or five darts a few sets earlier, and I, and I thought, well, he's, he's blown his chance now, so I thought, I'll get a big 18, leave 32. If he did one in 1-3-6, I'd have went for the ball, because it's two at the same segment in double eight. But I thought, 1-3-8, he's got to go boom, 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 three different segments... He's had his chance earlier. He won't get it. And uh, well, I was wrong. <laughs> Keith, Keith. I mean, it's a. I mean, with all due respect, it's it's a long time ago now. It's thirty years, and yet, uh, as I said about Dennis Taylor and his final against Steve Davis, you are still absolutely known for that. For that, I mean, of course, you're a world champion. That's not to disrespect you, but uh, an amazing game and an, an amazing time to be to be the world chi- t- title holder at darts. Well, I actually played Ips, uh, played Eric at Ipswich, my hometown, about three months later, and we were playing in front of 2,000 people at the Corn Exchange, Ipswich. It was five sets all, and I took 138 out again against Eric. But, you're, uh, you're really good at it, uh, that one, uh, Keith. You're very good at that. True. Well, I couldn't repeat what he said to me on air, but uh, <laughs> it was like... It was strange because, uh, I mean, it's like it's true Eric said, really. I think if I'd have been left 1-2-1 one, one or something like that, then Eric most probably would have gone for it. But, you know, I was disappointed, really, because I hit a treble one, and I was hoping to get a 140 to leave 1-2-1 one, one, to realistically have a shot. No, I didn't expect to take it out, but you're just thinking, well, look, my my uh, thinking was try and, leave a, try and leave tops. Hopefully Eric will miss. But, he, see, the trouble is, what people don't understand, Eric didn't miss 32. No. I mean... It, that was the problem. That in, if it had been another double, maybe it might have been a different format for it. But he never missed double sixteen. I mean, I remember him playing in the British Open final. John Lowe had three at double ten. Eric had three at double sixteen, and John Lowe went up and missed double ten. And Eric turned around and said good night, yeah. bang, first half. You know, and that's the, that was the reason I think Eric's thinking. Well, I don't miss thirty two. He might leave a finish, but he ain't going to get a shot. But thankfully for me, that. Um, you know, I took it out. Well, Keith, as people will say, we're still talking about it 30 years later. Thanks very much for joining us. That's Keith Delaware who uh, beat you in that final. Um, and yeah, he, uh, he was some some people have been lucky and whatever else. But I mean, when Keith won that world championship, he, he beat the number one, two, and three. So you can't call it luck then. No, he was he, obviously great. He, he played lovely. That as you say, he said he, he took some big finishes out all the way through. And uh, well, anyway, yeah. well, we do loads of shows together Absolutely. now. We still, we. I'm with him. Well, whenever. Um, what's your favourite movie, Eric? Uh, Zulu. Yeah? Uh, yeah, true story. Not just because you went to the same school as Michael Caton. No, no, film. it's a great film. Rules Drift, yeah, superb. Yeah. You love all that. What's your favourite? What kind of music do you like? I uh, brought up... Uh, Bob Marley. I'm a Bob Marley man. 
Okay, and you, well, you, you, a little story, because you went to Jamaica, you wanted to go to his grave. I wanted to go to his grave, and then they wouldn't let me. They said they didn't want a white man there, so they was sitting around his grave smoking dope and singing to him, so that's fair enough. You went in Rome, do as the Romans do. Okay, you, you took advice and didn't go up to yeah. St Anne's to where he's buried. What about your favourite food and drink, Eric? Um, I'm a vindaloo man, hot, foul sauce and all that. I'm a bad man, yeah, and then uh, drink... McGuinness man. Um, coming into 1984, I guess your uh, objective would have been to win back your world title and be a uh, three times world champion. Yeah, when you first start, you my, my dream was to be world champion. I've done that, and then you you get greedy, don't you? And then I wanted to win it twice, and I've done that, and then I wanted to win it three times on the trot. And Keith played well that year, played superb, deserved to win it, and uh, he kind of ruined that dream. Well, we can talk about that because you do actually achieve that. That's what we're going to talk about in this section of the show. You win the world title in 84, 85, and 86. Um, just running through the tournaments, um, which was the one do you think was the best? Tell, well, tell us about what happened in 84, first of all. Uh, as I say, I lost at the final the year before. Mm-hmm. Then 84, I, I come out all guns are blazing, and I just uh, I played I played lovely darts. So I did I did for the next three years, really. I yeah. just... Uh, I was, wasn't even like close finals. It was like a, well, I think in '84, didn't you beat a fellow called Dave Wickham? Seven-one was it? Seven-one. He threw the towel at me. He had a towel on the side. Then he threw the towel at me and hit me in, in the head. I was, and I said to him as I shook his hand, "I said it's the best thing you threw up here." He was a pretty yeah. good player, Dave Wickham. He played for England and that, but he but he wasn't one of the legendary names at the time. I mean, what Very kind tough. of a player was he? Very tough. Hard to play against. I beat him in two finals. I beat him in another final, six-nil. So yeah. I mean, he, he. I think I played him in the embassy five or six times and and the last time I beat him I was 3-0 down and beat him 4-3 so uh, he looking back on his career he just wished I wasn't born really so I mean because he might have been world champion twice and maybe more but uh, no he was was one of the top four four to ten players in the world that and tough to beat. We knew he was tough to beat. He was not another Tony Brown. He was tough to beat as well. When you when you say you were playing brilliantly for those three years, and we're going to talk about the other two years as well, um, it, it, did you know going into... I mean, anyone can lose a game, I presume. It can lose a match. But did you know that you that someone would have to play out their skin to beat you or you'd have to beat yourself? Yeah, yes. Yeah, just the way you feel. I mean, that's the way Phil Taylor feels now. He knows if he turns up with his best game, he's going to win it. And that's the way I was then. How hard did you practice, Eric? I played all the time. I had to practice. Some people, Dave Wickham, a prime example, would, 10 minutes before he went on stage, start practicing. I'd have to be there three hours, three and a half hours practicing before I was ready to go on the stage. So, I mean, we all wear, all we ever see is the blokes in the, in the shiny shirts running up there with girls shouting and roaring and the crowd going <laughs> mad and you throw the, throw the darts and you win or you lose. Um, do you practice every? Do, do professional players practice every day, even the days are not playing? Yeah, most of them do. Yeah, they have to put your work into it. How many hours? Uh, I used to play five, six hours a day. So I how mean, do you motivate yourself to do that? Because with the best will in the world, even if you're doing it for money, it's your living, you love it. It must be boring to throw darts at a board for five hours a day. Oh yeah, you you've set yourself little targets. I mean, I used to do tons up to ten and finishes, go around the ball on doubles, around the ball on trebles. So it didn't get boring. So, you, but, but I used to love the game. When you when you love the game, it's like when I talked to Steve Davis. Where he used to play snooker all day. When you love the game, it's not a job, is it? Yeah, but Steve Davis used to be accused of being boring and having no personality. That was never your issue. You had a life, you know. You yeah, got, you had a relationship. You you like a drink. You're out socialising. Steve Davis, I think, was. I know he liked weird music and stuff, but um, it's, there is a difference, isn't there? Yeah, well, you got to live your life. I was lucky, you know what I mean? So I, I could do both, you know what I mean? So it was good. I mean, I was travelling all over the world, going to different countries. I mean, it, it couldn't have been any better. I mean, I was... What countries do you like, Eric? Uh, I, I enjoyed I enjoyed New Zealand. I did enjoy New Zealand. I loved that. It was like 
going back thirty years, and it was slow and yeah, a little place in Nelson. It was, it was fantastic, and uh, I like Australia. Great, great country. America's great. I mean, I used to work for a cigarette company in America, which was a brilliant deal. I used to uh, Lucky Lights. They was a cigarette company. And they, yeah. used to, they used to run about thirty tournaments a year, and then uh, they used to want me to go over there fifteen, eighteen times a year. I used to fly in on a Thursday, you know, do some press for them. Didn't have to play in the tournament if I didn't want to present the trophy. It's funny, isn't it? You, you know, if you drive around America, every bar in America has a darts board. Isn't it? We don't think about it as an American sport, and, we, and no one's really broken. I mean, you're probably right. Is there any good American players? Oh, it's always been good American players, yeah. but they've never done it over here. We no for, for it to break. Plus, their TV's stitched up anyway. No, they don't. You know, they don't want another sport on TV. They've no. got their basketball, their baseball, and the hockey, and the American, American football, football yeah. and that's it. So it's, it's hard to crack that. But it, but it, it is a huge game in America. Because my, my recollection is, every time you stop in every bar, every roadhouse, anywhere in the United States, there is a dartboard in there. Yeah, yeah, and uh, yeah, and there's some good players there as well. Always has been, but they've never done it over here. You know, what I mean, Nicky Vrashkul was done all right over here I mean but don't you think it would be brilliant for the sport if someone like you was to gather up somebody from the United States and get their head in the right place and it would I mean I'm sure Barry Hearn would love to have a Yankee for everyone to shout at of course you would you would like a a blue eyed blonde American boy strapping good looking lad come through could play darts and all the American public will watch it what the American public don't like is watching their players lose all the time yeah so so they've had the players but we keep beating them so but look what happened to Holland Barnaville. When Barnaville come through, started making his name, won the World Championship, everybody in Holland started playing darts. And that's Hence why, Michael uh, Van Gerwen now, and yeah. others. You know. oh, loads yeah. of them, yeah. loads of them, and they're just coming through, through and through. But that's what you need. Somebody does well in the country, brings them on. You mentioned Steve Davis. Did you become friends with him? Because you're, you're absolute contemporaries. I know Steve. I've seen him many, many times, and we see it. You know, we bump into each other. You know what I mean? So, yeah, he used to have his hair done the same place as my, where my mum used to like, yeah, but he was like that <laughs> for men and women. It was yeah, yeah. yeah. But he, you know, it's, uh, yeah he's, he was fine. And he's, I like Steve. We've done TV shows together. Um, he's just got a dry sense of humour, hasn't he? He's just yeah. he's a different fella. And uh, yeah. So you you you, you murdered Dave Whitcomb in in in, in that final in '84. In '85, you retained the title um, against um, against John Lowe, who another one who might. If he was that way inclined, although he was world champion on more than one occasion, mm. he might have cursed that you were born as well because he happened to coincide. The, the high points of his career were coincided with yours, weren't they? That's right, yeah. He, was, he won in three different decades, didn't he? In the 70s, the 80s, and the 90s. I mean, but uh, yeah, he won the world championship three times, steady player, lost to me in two finals or whatever, won numerous tournaments. I mean, the, the three players in, in my era was myself, John Lowe, and Jockey Wilson, as far as I was concerned. I mean, I, I respected some of the others as well. Yeah. But they was my two, like... Talk to me about Wilson. How good a player was he? Superb. Absolutely brilliant. Don't know how he did it. Because people to... kind of really think about him now, about the smoking and the drinking. They don't perhaps concentrate on what, on what, on what a player he was. Ah, that's what he did. And I've lived forever anyway. Who wants to die healthy? You know what I mean? <laughs> you know what I mean? You live your life. Was he a good guy? Yeah, he was a mad man. He was... Uh, so, I, I got I... on well with Jockey. I used to put him to bed. He used to get in a lot of trouble. And uh, but I used to look after him. And... Uh, I love him, I miss him. I mean, it was his funeral last February, but, uh, yeah, he wasn't very well the last 10, 12 years of his life. Um, he had a bad upbringing. He, was, he, was, it was a t- he had a tough life. And, and uh, Yeah, but he was a character, and every sport needs characters, and Jockey was a character, you know what I mean? So, uh, 
And and were, you, were you very sad when when he passed away? Because it, 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 you know, as you say, it had been coming, but it's, it's still the moment when it, when it arrives, isn't it? No, I was pleased for him when he's gone. Yeah, you know what I mean? Because he, he was a hermit for the last ten years of his life. He didn't go out of the house. He didn't, you know, he didn't have a drink, and he, did, he wasn't doing what he wanted to do, and he was just wasting away anyway. So he's, in the end, it was just nice to see him out of his misery. So it's like same with my mother when she had cancer and whatever else. When was the, this, Eric? Uh, she died about seven years ago. Right. And uh, never smoked. So that's a you know. And uh, a lot of the people that died at the hospital, Christie's Hospital in Manchester, most of eighty percent of them never smoked. So, but uh, in the end, we're all there waiting. We have families and that, and you just you're glad when they do. You know, just like, like you're really there, and you and you give the other people a hug when they when the close one dies because they know it's all over for them. And yeah, just you know, it has to be done. You know, they're not going to come back from it. So they just cling on people, don't they? They do. They do. So. You beat John Lowe in the in the final in '85. Was that a remarkable tournament? What was it? I mean, that's your fourth win. Is it becoming just business as usual by this stage? No, it was exciting then because I, when I won that, it was like the Atrix on again. This is me. This is me proper dream now. So I, I, when I won that, I'm, I'm already thinking of the next year. Thinking right, yeah, I, I, I didn't blow it the time before against Stella. I mean, he deserved to win and play brilliant that year. But now I'm thinking I've got another crack at it now. And you do it in 1986. Talk to me about that tournament. Well, that was that was the one. That was uh, I was thinking when I got to the final, I thought, right, well, this this time a few years ago. And I, I should make the point during this time you're winning other tournaments as well, and you're in a very all-conquering England side with John Lowe, Dave Whitcomb. John Lowe was my partner. Yeah, you, I mean you're you're winning everything. World Cup. So to... here's this world, this final 86. Tell me about the tournament. Well, just uh, I got through. I was doing well, playing well, felt great. You know, and uh, it just—you just feel good. You know, you feel good. You know, you think you're unbeatable, and then that's it. And I'm, you know, I don't care who I'm playing. That sort of format, the long format, so you've got, you've got no excuse. You could go two sets to nil down, and, and you could still come back and win. So, and I'd—I'd I'd, I'd won the news of the world twice as well. Sort of, I never won. So I was well chased. That's the one where when anybody can enter, isn't it? And it yeah, really best good. of three, yeah. five oh one. Real, real shootout. Yeah, final. I had the final at Wembley in '83, and uh, I won at '84. I won it. I won it two years in a trot. Only one of three or four men ever to do that. So I was, I was kind of World Cup singles. I won another cup. I won '77, '79, '81, '83, '84. I was just drilling everything. Everything was just going. I won the World Cup pairs. Seven out. Well, in the end, I won it seven out of eight years with John Lowe as my partner, and then I'm, you know. Winning the Danish Swedish, whatever you just yes. you really you ain't got long not enough to read it here. But I mean, uh, I was winning everything, so I just felt great. And you won, the, you beat Dave Whitcomb again. Drilled him. He six was it six nil? Six nil, drilled him. Oh. Yeah, and I just even going for two doubles, which is like not not being flash against. Him. I wanted one two nine one leg against him, and I had to travel nineteen first start because it's nineteen sixty ball. Leave seventy two, and I'm thinking, well, instead of going for a treble, I ate double sixteen for fun. I just went double sixteen. Left top. That is showing off. Eric. Yeah, yeah, but I just bang. It's just the way I felt. It was, all right, let's say it's showmanship. Shall we leave it at that? It was. Yeah, it wasn't. And I thought I can't miss double sixteen, so it's going to leave tops anyway. So I went ding ding. Absolute dream achieved. Five times world champion. Three world championships in a row. What we're going to talk about next is what happened to you with a condition called dartitis. When there a moment uh, in in 1986 when you put away drill to use your word Dave Whitcomb could you have imagined that would be the last time you'd be world champion you're still a young man yeah I, I thought there'd be a few more no problems but but I did get the four more finals even when I wasn't letting me darts go properly that's how maybe that's how good I was even though I was playing bad in 1987 you again get to the final of the world championships um, losing to your England teammate and of course a legend of the game himself John Lowe 
Um, but you, as you said, although you go on to reach more finals, your your time at the very top of the game um, is a as a world champion is coming to an end. Um, you suffer intermittently with a well. Let me tell us what you have a, 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 a condition that's now been called dartitis. What what are we talking about here? You just go up to the hockey and then you just go to throw your dart and, and your your body goes. And you just can't let your dart go. It's silly. It's just it's dart. Well, you're, you're, you're saying it like that, but this yeah. is actually for if you're a dart player, this is a disaster, isn't it? Oh, it's the end of it. That's the end of it. I mean, not many people get over it. And uh, I was just stubborn. I mean, I had it for about ten years on and off. I'd get rid of it for a month. And it... is it like the yips in golf that people exactly know the same. About? And and Patsy Fagan had it with the rest in snooker. It's exactly the same thing. And uh, it's, what... there's no cure for it. What, I mean, first of all, what are the causes of it, Eric? No idea. No idea. You must have investigated that. I went to see a shrink and whatever. I was sitting in the chair and he's trying to put me out and give me a tape and whatever else. And um, this is a hypnotist of some yeah, kind. And yeah, you, and you do anything when you. You know what I mean? And, uh, Were you desperate when this got? No, I want to put it right. You know what I mean? Yeah. See, I mean, and uh, I'm just sitting. You got to believe in all sort of things, haven't you? I'm just sitting there looking at him, thinking, "What a boring job you got." You know what I mean? And let, 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 let's go back to it then. So, you pull the dart back. You go yeah, like that. You, you, you're still in the hockey. Yeah. And you pull your pull your arm back. You stop, and then well, like you normally do, stop, and then you go to throw it, and it, you just do it there, and you just there, and you just. When did you first start to feel this? The BBC done a great thing. I don't know, three or four years as I was into it. And they showed a clip of me throwing, say, a dart in 86. Yes. My first dart, one in 87, one in 88, and one in 89. And as it, it was fantastic the way they put it together. It's maybe one or two things they've ever done right. And, uh, and it showed you how the first dart was slower each year. It was a great thing they put together. You were, you, you were although you, 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 you may have known you had the condition, yeah. you were slowing down your delivery. You were more reluctant start. to yeah, throw it. Yeah, I brought it back, I was just taking that bit longer to let it go so it, 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 it's been coming it's not a physical thing it must be psychological yeah it must be a mental thing I, i'm thinking you're looking for perfection you're thinking you're not going to let it go because you don't feel it's going to go in but if you that's negative stuff but if you don't let it go you can't gonna, go in you're never going to find out if it's going to go in or not <laughs> no no it's all weird stuff so, but, i mean that was the end of it for me and that was the dummy and i mean i got the three or four other world finals i won a world cup singles i won loads of other tournaments all over the world but i mean uh, not the way i wanted to win them but uh, I was winning them still because I, I don't know I was still good even though yeah, I was you bad. Had, you, you had, well, yeah, you, you were so talented you could still win titles, get to world finals, but you weren't the player that you were. Um, you say you went and saw a, th- a therapist, a hypnotist. What other measures did you take? Can you just just help me with this? Try anything because you, you, you're you're not the kind of guy to give up. From what I know of you, so what did you try? Uh, I tried everything. I used to go to exhibitions and. Uh, Throw a pretend art first because it was like the first art only. Because not only just, once you got rid of the first one, the other two were right. Is that right? So you, you, it was the first one of the trio of darts. That's right. You didn't get all three. No, it's weird, absolutely weird. But yeah, see, normal players that, that have ever, I don't realise how many people have got this until I until I got it, and I'm saying I'm getting the letters from everybody because I kept going and they're telling me how they're asking me how I got over it, and I'm not over it properly. No, but people are asking me sure. thousands of letters I'm getting. It was just. Daft. Has anyone else had it since in the professional game? No, I was the only top pro to have it. Which, and I, I mean, my worst enemy, I wouldn't wish it on him. You know what I mean? Because I mean, all of a sudden, I'm 33, 35 years of age. In a, in a sport where it's well shown, you could be. I love playing. Of, yeah. I'm travelling the world, doing what I want to do, earning good money. I mean, everything's happy, and I'm hunky dory. And then all of a sudden, it's like, well, what am I going to do? I want to be a postman or what? Because not, uh, not your career's finished, maybe not on TV. What about your exhibitions and things like that? The whole lot's going to go out the window. So I, I kept at it. It took me 10 years to get over it. 
And, uh, Are you over it now? I'm fine over you it. Can... I've, 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 my, cha- my throat's changed. I'm not the player I was, no. and I never will be. You know no, no. I mean? That's it. And, but uh, I'll, now I play fun exhibitions. I work for the right people. I mean, I do business dues, and I'll, I'll play these Betfred bookies where I play 11 till 2. And I, they have nine darts, I have six. So they beat me school, they get a five pound free bet. They don't they get a two pound fifty. So I'm just with with no pressure on you, Eric. And doing stuff like that, do you still get 180 regular? I'll get 180s, yeah. You still I, I, two, double yeah, 16 as, as, as Oh, double sixteen's all right. That's never yeah. let me down. But I mean, sometimes I miss it as well. But I mean, yeah, double sixteen. I think that's in brilliant head. I think. But sometimes I miss it. Some nights I go out and I play lovely darts. I think that's what keeps you going. Yeah, do you enjoy that still? Yeah, yeah. When you play well, you're thinking, bloody, where was that last week? You know what I mean, oh, but I mean, yeah. But I wouldn't play in tournaments again because no. I'd get beat up by people that really shouldn't be <laughs> carrying me dark case. No. So I mean, so do them you, days. Do, are do gone. you still practice? I practice all the time because I work a lot, as I say. So I play three hours a day in the Betfred. So I mean, I've done four days on the trot here. I mean, yes. And then uh, I'll, I'll go to race meetings. Me and Keith Della go to race meetings, and we play in between each race. And uh, I mean, yeah, I play, play lots of darts all the time, but I don't do six hours a day, and I don't think my body could do six hours a day anyway. Let me ask you one last question about the dartitis. Mm. In the dark of night, in the middle of all of this, and you've had twenty years to think about twenty a quarter of a century to think about it. Do you have in your mind any idea why it happened to you? No, no, and I never will. I'll take that to you. No, you never will. And, and every hundreds of thousands of people I've spoke to have, have ever had it, they'll never know either. And there's not many people get over it. And uh, some people do get over it and, and still play proper dance, but not many. It, okay. it scars you for life. And and that's when I... I so as I was going out in, in my career then, that's when I thought, well, if I'm not going to win the World Championship anymore... It was a young lad that I used to practice with all the time. Because what I used to do is I used to practice four hours in the afternoon and four hours at night. I, I went up from playing from six hours at my prime to playing eight hours a day when I got diarrhoea to try and get rid of it because that's how stubborn I was. And I used to play at the Cockney pub. And I used to get asked these players and they'd turn up in the afternoon didn't turn up at night. Then I'd play with another bloke who'd turn up in the afternoon didn't turn up. And all of a sudden this guy called Phil Taylor walks in the pub. He said, I'll practice with you. So I said, okay, you practice with me. He turned up in the afternoon, he turned up in the night, he turned up in the afternoon, he turned up in the night. He'd just been made unemployed. And I thought, okay, he's all right. He's, I called him my sponge because everything I told him, he listened to. Well, you 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 know, I have left a whole section of the show for Phil Taylor. We'll talk about that in just, right. just a second because he, he is, uh, um, if you like, you've created a monster, but we'll come on to that. Um, I'm not trying to link the two things together. Coincidental um, with your dartitis, your relationship with Maureen Flowers, which had gone on for years, had your kids and everything, that broke up. Um, you talked about that earlier on, and it was all very amicable by then, I think, yeah, it's fair to say, but you did, you know, these things happen, you did lose your the Crafty Cockney pub. Do you have any regrets about that? It's yeah. in Stoke-on-Trent, yeah? That's right, yeah. yeah. A father who's dead now, Alex, I mean, the three of us owned it, and uh, what we should have done, even though we did split up, we should have kept that on, because it was a, a great venue. It was a Big great- pub, yeah? Great big pub, the, the big room held 350. Wow. Yeah, we had a DJ there. We had a, a little room in, in the centre of it, a, a snooker room. We had a private card, only about 40 members with a beautiful snooker table in. And then the bar with six tables in and a pool table that held 150. I was a proper pub, and at weekends we used to have a disco, a proper disco bloke called Coco. He was a resident DJ, and... Uh, it just it just packed like on a Friday, Saturday, and even a Sunday night when we had the disco going on. The people were queuing up outside. As four come out, we let four more in, and they was in the corridors going towards the other bar and waiting. They, they said if you couldn't pull a bird in there, Cockney, there was something wrong with you because it was full of them. 
Um, but but you, it just it just went. It was one of the victims of the of the split up, was it? Ah, uh, that's it's all right. We we didn't have nobody else involved in our split up. Yes. But when you start splitting the money up, that's yeah. when it gets nasty, and all of a sudden, you, yeah, it just gets a bit nasty. Don't you know, what I mean? so and then you, you can't have half a club, can you? No. Are you any good with money, Eric? Are you one of these who keeps money well, or are you one of those who spends every penny he earns? I'm. Uh, I spend. I'm a spender. I like spending money, and that's it. And I always think we can earn more. I, I'm not. You know, I don't go. You know, there was a little bit left, and whatever else. But I mean, now I'm fine. I'm all right. You know, what I mean, so good. I've got great pensions anyway. So I mean, bloody hell. Later on the show, we'll talk about how the uh, the darts have been changed by the media and the media's dealt with darts. But I wanted to talk about in 1989 and 1990 and 1991, the, the game really changed because the first the drinking on the stage was banned and then the smoking on the stage was banned. I mean, look, darts is a working class, working man's and woman's um, pub recreation, right? Um, the attempts to, t- to tart it up, I always think, have been a bit futile really um, what did you make when they started to say you couldn't smoke on the stage and you couldn't uh, and the players couldn't drink anymore um, I, I, did, I didn't mind uh, the smoking I could understand I mean uh, I'm a smoker I like smoking I enjoy smoking you know what I mean so that's that's my, my choice and whatever else but I, if there was like people young kids at home who wanted to be a dark player and who, who fought the yeah. world fought the world of me and started smoking because I was smoking on TV I don't like the idea of that do your kids smoke both my kids smoke. Right. Yeah, yeah. that's fine, but that's, that's their choice. Yeah. yeah. 21 and 9, yeah. they can do what they want. But, uh, I did, you know, so I can understand that. People at home, you're on TV, you should be smoking, you know what I mean? So, but the beer, I thought, well, what's, what's the point? Take the beer off, you know what I mean? But the BBC messed it up, like they messed everything up. They had Cliff Lazarenko on the stage and he had a pint pot there. And while the other guy was throwing, Cliff necked it in one. So, in, and then the cameraman, and they show it on TV. So, I mean, they wasn't our friends, the BBC, was well, it? Well, let's... let's, let's, let's so you wouldn't show that, would you? So he necked it behind him. Who cares? Let's talk about that because, um, you know, you work on Sky now. We'll have a chance to talk about that later in the show. And, uh, I mean, what Barry Hearn, but particularly what Sky... Sky, and Sky his, brilliant. Together, they, have, they have transformed the presentation of darts. The BBC had the sport for two decades when it was the most popular sport in Britain, among the most popular sports in Britain. Um... My own feeling, I'll get your feeling, my own feeling was that they treated the sport appallingly. They didn't get it, they didn't get the fans, and there was almost a class thing about it. They almost looking down their nose at it. That's what I think. Oh, yeah, but that's, that's BBC, wasn't it? That was BBC, and they lost everything. I mean, not just darts. I mean, they had great, greatest viewing figures there is. I mean, on Sky Sports, there's only only thing on Sky Sports, which is a totally sports channel, obviously it's called yeah. Sky Sports. There's only certain football games that get more viewing figures than darts. Yeah, rugby, anything like that, any other sport you could name, we blow out the window. You know what I mean? So I mean, Sky Sports were brilliant, but BBC the guys at the top, useless, absolutely. I mean, we can't. And I felt sorry for the people at home that can't afford Sky Sports. Yeah, the older people, pensioners or whatever, who maybe can't afford a, a, a Sky Sports. All of a sudden, they can't even watch darts at home. The people, things that they've watched for twenty, twenty-five years because the BBC. Uh, the path, you know what I mean? When I was thinking about darts, when we were up doing this, I thought there were two great eras of darts, the 1980s and the Phil Taylor era. You and him, the two great legends of, of the, world, the world game. And, of course, I'd forgotten completely, because he's been around so long, that your careers, not only do they slightly overlap, not only do you meet in a world final, even though you're suffering from the dartitis, but you invented him. You invented a monster that's devoured the game ever since. Tell us that story. Well, the whole idea was, as I say, I was practicing with different players in the pub four hours in the afternoon, four at night, and 
none, none of them could keep it up. But Phil was just made redundant, and then he came along and he said, oh, "What have you been doing? Do you know?" He just used to put toilet handles on or something. Yeah, yeah. He's he's he's, he's a lot better off now. Don't worry about it. <laughs> so and then he was there afternoon night, afternoon night, no problems, and, and he was brilliant. And he I changed his way of counting and things like that, and and, and he listened to what I was said, and then so I started. Taking him around the world, but why, why did you take an interest in him, in him specifically, Eric? Because there must be any number of people who want to play you, want to ask your advice. Why, why pick on Phil Taylor? Because oh, as the weeks went on, he was getting better and better, and I'm thinking my my, my little dream then was to make him in a world champion. I'm, I wasn't going to win the world championship maybe anymore. You could see you could see it in in this guy who wasn't even a, a pro, proper professional. You could see that much talent in him, could you? Well, after a couple of months, he was he was getting better. You could see he was improving like some players you could practice with for a year and they're not going to get any better i mean they've reached their peak or whatever it is but he was he was getting better and the grouping was better and and he, you know he seemed all right but the only thing he, he didn't have was like he used to play count and he started playing count he was okay at that sort of thing but he I wanted to get him out in the big wide world in the tournaments so i took him to canadian open he lost first round i took him to the north american open in vegas he lost first round and he sat there in tears, I can't do this anymore, I'm wasting my time. Am I right in thinking that you lent him a significant amount of money to try I didn't and get him up and running? I didn't lend him money, I just paid for everything. So okay, just sorry. Say, same thing, you know what I mean? So, but it, yeah. was, it was just like, it wasn't, I didn't do it, I didn't want a percentage of him, of him or I didn't want, it was just... I li- bet you wish I had a percentage of him now. No, no, it's, it's, it's money don't mean nothing to me, so there's no problem with that. So, I mean, I uh, just wanted wanted to make him, him, him world champion, it was just like a little thing for me. And what I, what I enjoyed, it was like John Lowe and a few others, as, as the first couple of years went by and he wasn't doing very well, John Lowe and a few others said to me, um, what are you sponsoring him for? He's useless. He'll never win anything. I said, well, we'll see what he wins in another two or three years. I mean, then he started winning. He won a Canadian Open. He was getting match fit, what I called. He could play a, a long day tournament then. You know, he'd play a one game at 10 o'clock in the morning, one, one in the afternoon, two o'clock, afternoon, three o'clock. He could do it all day. Not a natural athlete, Phil, is he? No, he's not. He's not a natural. You know, he doesn't. He would never look one. He no. could put, you could put Phil in a two thousand pound suit, and he's still <laughs> not right because that's just that's. And he knows that, and he admits that. But what a dark player! Yeah. And then all of a sudden, so I, I, my little dream was to train him up, get him up, get him into the world championship, and sit down there and watch him beat somebody in the world final, and just go to everybody. Well, I told you I was right. And this is so. And over the next couple of years, he becomes a very good player. And he gets into the World Championship. And I'm thinking, right, well, 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 well and I'm still playing then as it's well. It's 1990, we're talking yeah, about. I'm, that, I'm yeah. struggling, I'm still playing anyway, but I'm, sometimes I'm playing all right. So, so I'm, I'm thinking, oh, no, I don't want to draw each other first round. That's be worst nightmare, you know. So we drew each other in different different halves, we was. I thought, that's great. So, I'm, so that means that the, that the only thing that could possibly happen <coughs> yeah. will be that you got to the final and you're not playing your very no, best. I'm not, I'm not. Phil's a newcomer. He's not going to get to the final. The only place you could meet is in the final. That's right. I'm thinking, well, that's that safe. I'm fine. That's, that's, that's not going to happen. He's a, he was a real outsider as well. Let's not oh, get it. 33 to 1. Yeah. My, my mate who used to drive me about then, Trevor, had uh, 50 quid each way on him at 33 to 1. Because he's, he's a stokey lad, he's a stokey lad. You know what I mean? So, and, and, well, no, so, and he gets through his first. I went on first because I was the top half. I got through. Then I'm watching him, and he gets through. And I thought, brilliant! He's got through his first round, and then then I'll get through the second round. And he gets through the second round, and then quarterfinals come. I'm thinking, this could happen here, because I started. I was playing well then, and Phil was playing lovely. And then uh, we both won the quarterfinals, and I'm thinking, wow. And then we, and then we, the, 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 the nightmare happened. The semi-final, he beats your oldest darts mate, Cl- Cliff Lazarenko, yeah. murders him in the final semi-final, five 0 Well, I knew that was uh, once he won his quarter-final, and not, not taking nothing away to Cliff, 
once he was playing Cliff in the semi, I knew he was in the final. So I was thinking the only thing that's going to stop this now is me losing the semi because Cliff was a semi-final man, if you understand what I mean. Go on. Very great dark player, but he's never been in major finals. You know what I mean? Is so, that a mental thing? No, I mean, just I think Cliff just goes so far. Right. right. Still okay. plays lovely darts now. Great friend of mine, but he was never one of them you'd think who's going to win the World Championship. But if, if he was in your quarter, he could knock you out, but then someone would get him. Right. He's one of them. And I think the semi-final, I think I played, was it Kevin Kenny? Mike Gregory. Oh, Mike Gregory. Yeah, Mike Gregory. Yeah, yeah. So he's, and he was a dangerous player. Right. So as far as I was concerned, the only dodgy game was my one. But I drilled above, I beat Mike Gregory. And then... There you are, in the world final with your protege. Well... I mean, it's like a mad script, isn't it? It's crazy, because um, the year before, we was uh, sharing a room, New Year's Eve. Uh, yeah, New Year's Eve, me and Phil Taylor, we went uh, down the road, practice darts till about 7 o'clock at night, keep that away New Year's Eve, and uh, he didn't do that well that year. But I mean, and then the next year, I'm playing him in the world final. I should make the point. Let's be absolutely frank about this. He even, he even used to do odd jobs around your house for you useless. during all of this. Absolutely Apparently useless. Terrible handyman you said in oh. your book. Uh, yeah, he's trying to help him out with a bit of dosh and do this. He said, I could do that, I could do this, I'll do that. <laughs> he put me, uh, he put the garage gates on, he put one on upside down. He's, 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 every time he'd done something in the air, so I had to bring somebody else in to put it right. But I mean, just trying to help him out. You know yeah. what I mean? So that was the way it was. And at the 1990 final, I'm supposed to be I'm supposed to be sitting down watching him playing his first world final, drilling somebody, and then turn around to everybody and say, "I told you so." He was going to win the world championship, and now I'm up there, and I'm our worst nightmare is I'm the one that got drilled, and he he played lovely that year. Six one. No, he played lovely. Yeah, yeah. There's like Keith when he beat me. Maybe they're the two finals out of, out of all out of five I lost. The other two finals where I think maybe the, the better player won, the other three I, I could have won. You know what I mean? Well, hang on. Hold on. And we'll talk about more about Phil in a second. In 1991, you reached your last final, I think, yeah? Yeah. Against Dennis Priestley. You lost 6 0. Oh, yeah. Was, well, yeah, the other two before that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The, 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 the um, jockey one where I come back to 5 4 yeah. was a cracker. I should have beat him there that year. And I think the, the, Lowy again, I think. But uh, I should have won. Yeah, Lowy. I should have won them too. Just, yeah, yeah, yeah. I can't believe I got to the final the next year as well. Yeah. Yeah, and I just that's when I beat Kevin Kenny in the semi final. I, I shot all my bullets then. All my bullets were gone. I mean, you are, you, you are a stubborn man because all this time you're suffering from not being able to release the darts properly. Not always, not every day, but intermittently. Yeah. And to keep on reaching the final, you're, you're putting yourself through some, some, some stuff here, aren't you? Well, it's just it's the World Championship. If you can't get ready for that, it doesn't matter what you've done all year. The World Championship is always the World Championship. Let's come back to Phil Taylor and what he's done since. I mean, I, I, think, it, I think it is. Among the great achievements, you know, look, there's always going to be an argument. Darts, is it a sport, is it a pastime? Let's, let's say that it's a sport. Whatever, yeah. Right. What he's done in those two decades since, he is one of the top three British sportsmen of the last 20 years, and yet no one ever talks about him like that. No, easy. But it doesn't matter. He knows it anyway. He's earned a fortune out of it. and he's, he's... Has he earned a proper fortune? I hope so. Oh, yeah. He's, oh, yeah he's minted. Oh, yeah. Oh, proper minted. Yeah. Good. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, but they're all earning good money now. And good luck to them. So they should do because I mean, you look at some of these other sports. I mean, they get they're, put, they're earning a fortune. Why not dark players? So it's great. You know what I mean, so but uh, apart from the money, every game he's winning now, every game on 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 TV, he's still winning. Even in the Premier League and things like that, it's just it's just another record. It's just another little stack. Notch, yeah. You got a pile of 
money there and each, yeah. each game he wins is cause there's that little pile's getting higher not, not the money's winning but the record that someone's well, are you, are you no, one's, no one's ever going to do what he does not, are you proud of the part you played in, in, in his development yeah oh yeah I love Phil I love Phil and I, just, I love what he's done with the game and uh, and, and it's, it's respected in a lot more a lot more places now they, they, a lot of people respect us all, all the other sportsmen love darts and, and play darts always respected us anyway because they knew how hard it was there's the people at home and some of the TV people and the snobs and whatever else. Darts is great. We're self-sufficient. We don't need nobody else. We we broke away from the BDO. Well, you were a huge part of that as well. To yeah, over the PDC, PDC formed. We and then we got Barry Owen come on a couple of years later. He does the negotiating with Sky. Sky have been absolutely fantastic. Not for just darts, for every sport they get involved with, and they're great people to work for. Love them the bits. Save me from. Whatever, who knows? Because I was once in the end, it really went. I didn't know what I was going to do, and then uh, Keith Zeller said to me, "Come and do the spot." And I said, "I don't want to sit and watch dark players all the time. I'm watching pe- people play that a game that I love playing, and I can't play anymore." He said, "Come and do the spot and just get involved." So in the end, I went done the spotting for Sky, and and that saved me really from who knows what I'd have done afterwards. Because once my career was over, you don't know what you do. Your last appearance, you, you had a swan song in '97, reaching the semi-finals of of the now PDC World I, I Championship. Played, hey, I played brilliant that year. I lost to that little bloke called Taylor Phil again. And I got him worried. He was sweating like five four in the oh, semi-final. Yeah. It was yeah. great. Yeah, yeah. Your last appearance in the World Championships was in 2000. 23 years uh, in in the game. Um, how did you feel? And, and uh, you said how much you've enjoyed doing the sports thing, the, the, the sky thing. How did you feel when you had to retire? Or, why did you decide to retire? Uh, I just thought it was enough was enough. And I was getting beat by, as I say, uh, dum dums who, who, who are good players, but not like what I call great dart players. They are dangerous players, but people that wouldn't have beat me, or you know, they most likely would have beat me once out of twenty. You know, if they played well and and they're, and they're going up and beating me easy, and it's, you don't want to lose to people no, like that. I mean, no, it's no. just it's just stupid. So I mean, and, and they, what makes you laugh? They're beating and they're giving it all that yeah, and and I'm thinking. Oh, why well, can't I just play you 20 years yeah, ago? Yeah, 15 I'd, years ago, you wouldn't I'd be I'd just that. ripped your head off. You'd be lucky to win a leg. <gasps> so, but, uh, and they believe in their good players. But, you know, I didn't mind losing the Priestley in the final because he come through and made a great career for himself. Great ambassador. You don't mind game. losing to Phil because he is what he is? I don't mind losing yeah. to Phil. Superb. But when I started losing to other idiots, I lost to Manly one year. I mean, I'm thinking, what am I doing losing to Manly? You know what I mean? Your guy's not a dart player. You know what I mean? You just don't lose to Manly. You know what I mean? <laughs> Taylor's played him twice in the final. I've done to him a lot. I've done to Wickham like 7 1 and 6 0. That's what you do to Manly. You don't, you don't, you, lose don't to... you don't lose to Manly. Nobody does. You know what I mean? The guy's killed me. I never want to see it. So it's, I think now it's time to retire then. Um, Eric, we've been talking about um, your media work. Uh, uh, you obviously, you obviously enjoy. It. I mean, we, we we saw during the last eighteen months the, the emergence of Michael Van Gerwen, yeah. the Dutch player. And because it's radio, I've got to say this. Here's the example. Every time I mention his name, you smile. When we were talking about him earlier on, your body language, you're almost shaking with excitement. You always still still love the game and love the great players. Yeah, and I love I love people that are going to do good for the game. And I love Van Gerwen. I mean, he's just he's emotional. He's like me. When he it's it's important shot out or one three two out. He, yeah, to the crowd, and that's what it's all about. You don't want them all, all becoming bland and just going out in a big shot and walking back. You know, I mean, you need some characters in the game. It's what killed snooker, no characters in it. So we don't want darts becoming like that. We need Michael Van Gerwen is going to win a world championship. They say they've said this about so many other players. Yeah, you know, Sid Waddell, him. He used he used to say, "Oh, 
when Wade got on the scene, this is a future world champion. This is a future. Simple deal. There was that many future world champions. There had enough years there for it. enough years. <laughs> you know, especially with Phil Taylor about it. There ain't going to be that many. But this kid will win the world championship. This kid reminds me of me. He loves darts. All right. Well, he, uh, he may remind you of you, but you, upright, very correct, dart in front of your eyes. I'm not a darts expert, but mm. I'm not an idiot either. Van Gerwen appears to be throwing it underarm well, from he just, he's led to one side he just tilts a bit and he's rats at set and he's a very fluent player and he, he was a great player four or five years ago and then he lost his way a bit yes but now he found out what women were and things like that yeah like practices much and now he's now he's believing himself again this kid's complained he's won two tournaments last the other weekend the first two tournaments of the pdc he won them both at crawley saturday and sunday did you think he would beat taylor in this year's final I said live on TV that he would lose 7-4. What happened, Eric? He lost 7-4, and I picked all the money up from the bookies. But, uh, <laughs> no, I mean, he, he he is a future world champion, but he's playing, he's playing the Phil Taylor. He, he could have won it. He had one dart at tops to go 5-2 up. If he'd have hit that, there's a big gap then. I mean, this is an impossible question to answer, but could he dominate the game in the next 20 years the way that Phil Taylor has dominated in the last? He could dominate the game for 20 years, but not with the record that Phil's had over 20 years he wouldn't like become that that many times world champion no. he, he could win the, the world championship five or six times really this kid is good enough he's brilliant and I hope he does because I think it's good for the game I mean it's it, it, his emotion and whatever it's great you know, and, and it's good for darts I mean we've just signed a, a five new, new year with Sky the very Sky. day we're recording this Sky have announced yeah. another five years I mean and that's been the thing hasn't it that the sport had disappeared from the mainstream TV. I mean, the BBC has the other World Championship and all the rest of it. Um, Mickey Mouse one, yeah. And um, and uh, and Barry Hearn as well uh, got involved in it. And when you see, and I've been to Ali Pali um, to see the darts. I mean, I, I say it's not. My, I wouldn't say it's my favourite sport or anything. But to be in that crowd, I mean, there, it's different from a football match. It's a different atmosphere, but it says it's as excitable and as nuttier place as I've ever been to it's extraordinary it's mad especially the world championship the, the, the 10 12 days before Christmas everybody comes dressed up this, this office parties it's, it's we shouldn't be everyone's drunk it's brilliant oh yeah it's, it's it but it's brilliant it's, it's, and the, the build up and the music they've got the good looking walk on girls it's razzmatazz but also once them two dark players are up there then the fun begins but that uh, Ali Pally, and is I fantastic. think that's that's the that's the amazing thing that the TV coverage has done, including yourself, is that it's all about the laughing and the joking in the crowd until the moment the blokes hit the ho- hockey, and then it's deadly serious and it's sport and it's a proper contest. And that's right, and they're playing for a lot of money, and that's yeah. it. And they're playing like uh, it's a career changer. If somebody does well in the world championship and, and wins, say gets to the final, gets hundred pound, hundred thousand, or hundred twenty-five thousand, he's in the top rankings for for two years. It's huge, it's life-changing, yeah. Oh, and then that two years, he's, he's guaranteed to go to every TV tournament and he's on five or six grand, first-round losers in them tournaments. I mean, it's not worth the money in one tournament. It's it's a snowball. Well, we, ha- we can't really talk about TV without talking about your more recent um, television stardom, shall we say. <laughs> um, look, I mean, it's, it's an amazing programme, um, g- g- the Jungle Program, I'm a Celebrity, um, because people who've not been around for a long time, people who are, very, who are, in my opinion, not even real celebrities, but once you see them there, it is, it is, it is, it's the only one of those programs I like because it is addictive because it's 24-7. I mean, I know Big Brother is too, but the, the celebrity one is extraordinary. Did you enjoy your time in the Jungle Program? I had a great time, yeah. It's great. It was a chance of a lifetime. It was, it's, it's a thing I'll never forget. Uh, 
didn't think I'd be frightened of anything. Never have been frightened of anything. Do you, get, do you make a lot of money out of it, as a matter of interest? Uh, I could do if I wanted to, but I don't. I'm not on that road. I still, as I so say, you get paid for going to, but you can, then you could go on a kind of oh, open you, supermarkets and all yeah, that yeah, pan, if you wanted not to. Pantomime and all that. Who yeah. I don't want to do that. I'm quite happy. As I say, I've got all the bet Fred shops and all these other little jobs I do and the race meetings. And no pantomime for Eric Bristow. No, no, I've, no. I've, I've done one this week. I was at the Spam a lot. Done that for a bit of fun. But I've done that. There's a walk on, isn't there, where they bring yeah. a celebrity in Spam? You were I, that, you I were, did that, yeah. Did I, you enjoy that? Yeah, with Monty Python. It's just nice to be. Uh, you know, it's just nice to be there. And then I sat down the second half in the audience and watched them, and it was a fantastic show. It was. So I recommend it to anybody. It's, it's fantastic. If that doesn't make you laugh, nothing will make you laugh. You've been very polite on this show, but about most of them, except um, uh, our friend Manly, Peter Manley, oh. um, and BBC. Uh, but, uh, I mean, obviously, it's very hard. You've got to be yourself on, on the jungle thing because it's just your life, but it's transplanted somewhere else. You were accused of being pretty rude about some of your fellow uh, contestants. Oh, tell the truth. Tell the truth. I'm there, I'm there for 24 days if it lasts. Oh, the whole whack. So, if you're going to start lying and deceiving people, you'll have good memories and things like that. I'm not going there, tell the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth, and that, and that was it. Some of them were useless, and some I don't know what I know. Some, some people come in there to try and rekindle their careers, and sure. that's, that's the sort of thing that it does. I yeah, mean, there were different reasons for being there. I enjoyed most of it. I mean, uh, it was hard. It was hard. <laughs> Helen, lovely, lovely girl, Helen, wasn't supposed to be in the jungle. I don't know what she was doing there. <laughs> You know what I mean? She's no good shopping, was he? She's got to send her out for food, she's going to starve to death. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, uh, Lamar, I don't know what he was doing there. Uh, yeah. That was just weird. That was it. Dude, da, da, da. That's all you heard all day. I mean, he's, he's making this, that that tune was to, if he, if he's cooking, it would be a cooking song to that. Da, da, yeah. da. To and then you had Rose. Yeah. And you had Rosemary. Mike Ross can sing, Eric. It's, yeah. it's clear. Rosemary on, uh, thought she was a chef. But she couldn't bend down to do the cooking because it was too low and she was too big. So we had to do all the cooking, cooking, and then she's shouting at us. You know, give you a break. But the rest of them are brilliant. I mean, Charlie, who won it, was yeah. fantastic. I really got on well with Hugo, Davey. Yeah. Um, Ashley was fantastic. You lost loads of weight and came out in tremendous shape. I lost two stone in 22 days, but that's too fast. Is that, yeah, sure. I mean, all of us in the end, you, you, what we did the last five or six days, seven days, nobody got up quick. If you got up quick, you went giddy. Because you were so hungry. And that's what, yes. See, I, I, see I, that's the thing I don't like about that program. I think it gets too near to, I don't want to use the word torture, but it, it, it's too, there's a little bit too much de- deprivation in it. Yeah, and, and plus they blew it at the end. When they blew it, when they brought um, um, Charlie's little kid on it. Yeah. We all knew when we went to do that, with six of us left, we went to them doors and we found out her little kid was there. We all sat around the fire that night. And that's too hard, isn't it? No, but we all sat around yeah. the fire that night and we says, it's all over now. It's not a game between us lot anymore because no. we knew she was going to win. Yes. Because all, all the people at, back home, the British public, are going to vote for her. Of course, yeah, Because absolutely. her daughter was there. So we, yeah. we should have all packed up then and went home because it kind of spoiled it because I thought David was going to win it and, and I really thought Ashley was brilliant. Yeah. And she, she, she had no chance to win it because she was American. But give her a due. When I first saw her walk over that hill, beautiful little thing that walked over the hill, I thought... Pussy at Gil, wasn't she, or something? I thought she's got no chance. That was my first impression. And she proved me completely wrong. I thought she was fantastic. And she's done well since. Yep. She wanted to rekindle her career. She's on that Dancing on Ice as Absolutely. a judge. Great kid. And we all text each other still. Yeah. And, and, it's, and we uh, make good friends. Well, it was... Uh, I, used, I like Linda and all. I, I, I yeah. got well with Linda. She's from the same year as me Absolutely. in London. She, she, yeah. she was funny. She was. She was yeah. Eric, it's been a, an extraordinary life, really, um, from those um, the mean streets, if I might be so bold, of uh, Stoke Newington, to multiple world champions, where you are now. 
Um, any regrets about any of it? No, none of it. No, a fantastic career. Done superb. Only regret really is I suppose I've got diabetes, but uh, looking back on all, all the things I won, yeah, fantastic. And uh, as I say, Sky saved me from who knows what I'd have done. Feel sorry for myself and drink myself to death or whatever. Got into a job with still involved with darts, and now they've signed another five year contract. So that'll be, uh, I'll, I'll still spot maybe the next five years, and then that'll be the end of it for me. So I said, do me. I suppose I should be, since we are the same age, I better say that you've still got many, many, many years ahead of you, Eric. No, no, I mean, I mean I've retired now, so yeah. I've been pensions, I mean, I mean I'm fine now, but I, I love working for Sky, I love still being involved with darts, so there's a lot of the dart players I still like, and and so, yeah, I've, as I say, they, they, they've done that for another five years, that, that, I'll be 61 then, Yeah. And that's most like, then I'll, yeah, that'll do me, and I'll, I'll still play all these fun exhibitions that I do now, and I do a lot with Keith Teller, we do a lot of fun business do's and whatever else, I've got a great MC called Paul Booth, and, and we have a laugh, and you play all these people, one league 501, and, and we bring them on to music, and, it's, and it's, it's great, I mean, the exhibitions that I do are fun, and that's it, that's all I want to do now, I don't want to go up there, and people book me for an exhibition, and book me against 16 top players yeah. who want to rip me head off. I come along, business do, it's a bit of fun, and we have a laugh. What about for yourself personally and the people you love, Eric? What are you hopeful for the future then? And let's hope it's a long future. Um, no, no, I just want darts to carry on. And it's, 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 there's no problems with darts whatsoever. The youth are coming through. We've got a great youth system. We're going to see new faces in year after year after year. And, it, and it, who knows? There's, there could be another Phil Taylor coming through in three or four years' time. Would you like to produce another world champion? People have asked me to help people out because I'm quite good at getting their heads right and that's what it's all about in the end, getting your head right. But uh, no, I won't do it anymore because uh, I could make someone world champion, no problems. I, I believe that, no problems. But I'm not going to be the guy that I made 17 times world champions. I've got enough years left to, get, to make someone 18 or 19 times world champion. So no, I'm just going to keep watching Phil with another couple and watch this Van Gogh with another couple. You've been listening to an archive edition of Talk Sports My Sporting Life with Danny Kelly. Thanks for listening, and make sure you subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Acast, and Spotify for more top Talk Sport content. Here's a cool fact a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact you can get short term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.